Welcome to Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray that you are blessed by this message from Pastor John Roberts. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. We're in Ephesians 2.1. And you he, he made alive. If you notice, I don't, some of the modern versions may not do this, but King James, the New King James, the you he made alive or he made alive is in italics, which means it's not actually in the original scriptures. And that verse, they, they pick that thought from below and bring it up to introduce that. But literally what that verse one should read, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So the first three verses just paint a really dark, dark picture of where we were um, B.C., before Christ. We were dead. And we did walk according to the, the patterns of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan. Um, and we were by nature children of wrath. But verse 4 is the key. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And then in parentheses, by grace you have been saved. Verse 6, and he not only made us alive together with Christ, but he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The, the great part the, about that is in verse, verse 4. It's God's love. Because he has a great love for us, he has great mercy on us. And even when we were dead, and, and that's important because he says this in verse 5. He's going to repeat it in verse, the beginning of verse 8. We have been saved by grace. This wasn't something that we did. It wasn't something we thought up. It wasn't something that, um, that you can earn. It's all God. It's God from the beginning, God in the middle, God in the end. He is the one that came up with this. But it's great that not only did he make us alive when we were dead, but he made us alive in Christ. And so that when Christ was raised from the dead, we were raised up together. So he not only recreated us, um, Corinthians 5, anyone who is in Christ is a brand new creation. When we got born again, our nature changed. We were, it, it's not like he just, uh, it's not like you take a, a, uh, a car and you clean it up. You detail it, it looks a lot better, but it's still the same car. He made a brand new 
version of us. That, and not only that, but he elevated us up to the position of seated, being seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And he did it because it's going to take all eternity for us to see everything that he's given to us in Christ. His grace and his mercy are, have given us, well, we've already seen it. They've, he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We saw that in chapter 1. But it will take us all eternity. Well, in fact, for all eternity, we will be learning what he's given us. We will never, um, we will never fully attain to the Godhead. That's impossible. So as we go through, the more revelation we get of, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we learn more about their character, more about who they are and what they've done for us. So it's, I can't, I can't my brain has a hard time grasping that, how you can be in the presence of God and still not fully know him. And yet, that's the implication. It's going to take ages and ages. The implication there in verse um, 7 is that, it, that that's going to take eternity for God to show us that. But then we come to verse 8, and he gets to the crux of our salvation. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Now, in some ways, I, I, I've studied this out, when it says that not of yourselves, technically that is referring back to the grace. I think it also applies to the faith because Romans tells us in Romans chapter 10 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So I believe that when you hear the message of Christ and, you, and someone tells you about who Jesus is, I think just that message, just the message of, of salvation preached from the word of God, faith is embedded in that message. So that when you, when you get the word, the faith is right there with it. It's whether we accept it and act on that faith is the point. But technically, it means here that God has done. We didn't do anything to merit or to earn or to um, deserve. In fact, the fact that we were saved, when that he saved us when we were still dead in our trespasses and sins tells me that we were not capable. It's like being in quicksand. Um, the more you struggle, the faster you sink. Someone from the outside has to throw you a lifeline. Well, that's God's grace. He did that for us. Verse 9, he goes on. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. He makes sure that, it's, that we know this is not something that we work and attain to. It, it just simply comes because God handed us the gift. And really the only work, now the book of James does tell, tell us that there are works involved. In fact, um, Paul's going to get into that a little bit 
and verse 10. James puts it this way. He says, you tell me of your faith. I'll show you my faith by my works. So if you are exercising faith, there will be good works that come along. In fact, Paul said it in verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He made us, when we were recreated, he made us in such a way that good works just come out of us. That should be the norm. We have to either neglect, which the Bible says you can, we have to neglect our salvation, which you do it by not staying in the word, not communing with God through prayer, not assembling yourselves together. Um, you know, I see that there, there are pre- there's pressure um, constantly to not show up for church. And, and the word, in fact, in, in the book of Hebrews, it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some, and even more so as the day approaches. That's the day of the return of Christ. There's even a greater need the closer we get to the return of Christ. The tougher things get, the more we need to come together around the word, around worship, to, to get encouraged, to get built up. Um, you see people all the time. They they show up for church, and I'm not I'm not belittling anybody, but they will show up for church once a month. I, and 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 I, I mean the the stereotypical one are the the um, Christmas and Easter Christians. They only come to church at Christmas time and during the Easter weekend. That's like you know eating two meals a year. And you don't understand why you're starving to death. Well, yeah. and and to be honest with you, even just showing up on Sunday morning, and I know I'm preaching to a Wednesday night crowd, so you know I, I do count this as a crowd. Um, but you know, you eat once a week, you're not going to be very healthy if you only have one meal a week. And and I know there is a there is a factor here where we have to. We have to learn to feed ourselves, but at the same time, there is something about setting aside a time to just go and receive the word and to fellowship and to pray for one another. I mean, there are all kinds of things that, that, well, we used to have a saying when I was in Bible school, because I had a, I had a good friend and, um, He's in the ministry today. He's finally retired from, he worked in a, in a factory. And he retired a few years ago and went into full-time ministry. Well, he and I ran to, around together the same time right before I left um, teaching to go to Bible school. And he knew then that he was called to the ministry. And his son asked him one day, he said, Dad, if you're going to be a preacher, does that mean we have to be poor? And he said, no, I will never do anything to neglect my family financially. And so he would never leave his job, which meant he could never go off anywhere else to go to Bible school. Well, he ordered 
he did all of his studies by correspondence, and there's nothing wrong with, with doing correspondence work. I've done some. Um, a lot of my graduate level, I've done a great deal of it by, um, by correspondence beyond the, my, my first you know, master's degree. But I will tell you, there was something very special about taking and moving our family. We moved almost 800 miles. Took two years to go to Bible school. And the, the expression that we had was, there's almost as much that you ca- that's caught as taught. Because you would see things and to be honest with you, you had to learn to believe God. I mean, we were, this was early, early 80s. My tuition was, I mean, by today's standards, I guess it was very low. Uh, but it, it was about $1,300, $1,400 a year. $1,300 a year when you're working minimum wage, a lot of money. And I was, you go to school all morning, all you've got is your afternoons. Well, I was a school teacher. I couldn't teach school and go to school. So I couldn't, I, I worked, I worked, delivered furniture. I worked as a custodian. Uh, ended up, the, the, for the most part, I eventually got a job as a clerk. But still, I wasn't making a lot of money. We had to believe God for every penny. We had to believe God for food. Um, it was financially, it was one of the tightest times in my entire life. But it was, we learned how to depend on God. And there were times, I was just listening to a minister on, on the way here. They was talking about, you know, even today, there are times when he's been in the ministry probably as long as I have. Um, well, no, I take that back. He hasn't, he hasn't been saved that long. But he's been in the ministry probably 20 years. And there are times when money's flush, and there are times when money's tight. Well, in the tight years, you learn to trust God so that when you get in the flush years, you're not afraid to give it. Because I, I do know, I watched uh, my dad's generation, most of the people that came out of the Depression, they, were, they hoarded a lot of stuff. They, 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 a lot of them were, were very good givers. But they also, they wanted to squirrel stuff away, squirrel money away, because there might be another depression come and we need to be prepared. Where when you learn to trust God for everything, you realize that part of being prepared for those lean times is giving where God wants you to in the flush times so that you have some seed out there to reap a crop when the tight times come. But still, it's not, it's not always easy and I'm not even quite sure how I got off on that, other than these are the good works. When, when we got saved, we can't neglect that what God's put into us. And part of that comes down to the calling. Had I not been called a pastor, God probably wouldn't have required me to go off and, and you know go to Bible school. I probably could have done it, never left my job, just been a... a, a um, a faithful church member. We need lots of those because the army of God really, when you get down to it, operates just like a regular military unit. 
if you have a, a huge army, there are only a very few soldiers that actually physically are in combat. For everyone in combat, you need 10 or 15 behind the scenes getting equipment to them, getting supplies to them, making everything work. Same way in the body of Christ. For every person who goes on the mission field or preaches from a pulpit, you got to have a lot of people behind them to support them financially, to, to you know, provide the, the meat and the potatoes and the, and the, the time to, so that they can do the work of the ministry. All of those are good works. All of those are the workmanship of God coming out, whether you're sitting in the pew being faithful. And to be honest with you, the, probably the most important job any of us have, you know, is being a faithful spouse, being a faithful mom or dad, uh, brother, sister. That's I, I look, you know, for, for many years. Now, my kids are gone now. They're raised and and out with families of their own but that was my one of my biggest responsibilities was to raise my kids and you know to be a husband at the same time but my wife and I that was a huge concentration that was part of our work as Christians we owed it to our kids to instill the word into them that's part of this being his workmanship so that we can enter into the works that he's prepared before the foundation of the world. Now, this salvation, it's an interesting um, term. Greek term for salvation is sozo. And I love um, Mr. Schofield. He says uh, the, the Hebrew and the Greek words for salvation imply a fivefold meaning. Deliverance, safety, preservation, healing, and soundness. He said those are the, the, the great inclusive, it is the great inclusive word of the gospel. And salvation really gathers into itself all of the acts. Justification, redemption, grace, um, forgiveness, sanctification, glorification. But that our salvation comes in, th- in three different aspects or three different tenses. The first sense, the first aspect of, justifica- or of, of salvation is justification. And basically justification means that we have been found to be just before God. It wasn't anything we did. That's what he says here in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That's not of yourself. It's the gift of God. We are justified because God poured his grace out on us and we accepted it. But that's past tense. We, and, and the great thing is we have been saved, past tense. But in that, we have been delivered from guilt and the penalty of sin. But that's the negative side. There's also a positive side to it that we have been imputed with a positive righteousness. We haven't just had our, the, the bad things blotted away and left, you know, brand new. We've, God has said, nope, 
I'm making you my child. I'm elevating you up to my status. I'm going to sit you on the throne with me, in me. That's, that, is, that is an absolute unbelievable um, statement on God's part. The, the second tense or the second aspect of this is the process of sanctification. It's positional in that we have it in Christ. It's something that we have to believe for to see it in our lives. But it's also progressive. <clears throat> when I got first got saved, I, I didn't have the capacity to do what I do today. Uh, for one thing, I was eight years old, so eight-year-olds don't have a real grasp of the world. <laughs> but even at 28, when I came back into fellowship with God after being out in the world for, for you know, 10 or 11 years, I didn't know enough word to walk out what God. I was just as holy before God then as I am now. But God requires more out of me now than he did then because I know more. It's just like my kids. I, when our, our kids were little and when their butts started stinking, you took them in, you laid them down, you changed their diaper. Well, if I was changing diapers on my son at 12 and 13, there better be, <laughs> there better be a really good reason, you know, at even at 12 and 13 he you know i had a favorite saying back then they would come ryan and tiffany both would come and say can i have this i want this and my saying was yeah go get a job you earn some money you can do it well they, they couldn't go out and go to work at 12 or 13 but i was also trying to instill in their mind that it's time you start learning how to provide some of these things for yourself. And we did give them little jobs and help them to work around the house or work outside of the house. Go help grandma, go help you know the neighbors, go mow grass, do whatever, earn a few dollars. But they progressed. Uh, by the time our son got into high school, especially the last two years, he worked at McDonald's. Um, Every Sunday morning, he would go in at opening at 4 o'clock, and he'd work till it was time to go to church, and he'd, he'd get five hours in every Sunday morning. It just gave him spending money. Today, I don't have to worry that is he going to do what he needs to do. Does he get a job? Does he stay working? He, even if he got lost his job, he still has the presence of mind, I've got to go out and find another one. And it's not, I've been in positions where more than once, especially, you know, when you, you've been in the ministry and you, you, if you move around a little bit, when I've tried to go back to teaching, it was hard to find a job teaching so that you could support yourself while you did the work of the ministry. Um, just because you can't find a job doesn't mean that you're, you're a failure at that. It's how, how do you apply yourself? Are you out there looking? I mean, we hear it all the time, you know, the, the unemployment rate has dropped because people quit looking for work. Well, if I really need a job, that's not a possibility. 
Now, I may quit officially on the government rolls. They may not know I'm looking for work. But if I'm not working, I'm looking for a job. I'm looking for something to do. Because that's what I need to do. But this process of sanctification is the second aspect of, of our salvation. We take what Jesus has given us positionally, that we're seated with him, and we apply it to our lives so that we can eliminate sin from our experience, our normal experience, and um, start producing the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, you're there in Ephesians. Back up to Galatians. It's just one book back. find my glasses here and look at chapter 5 and in chapter 5 it talks in verse 16 it says I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh and then it goes through what the flesh lusts for but notice he says there again in verse 16, walk in the spirit. That's this progressive process of sanctification. And when we, when we do that, we get down to 20, verse 22 of chapter 5. And he's contrasted because he's gone all through the spirit of the, of the flesh or the works of the flesh. Verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. What he's saying is these things should be coming out of us. If we, are, if we are Christians and we are walking after the Spirit. Verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Living in the Spirit is our positional truth. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. But that needs to be showing up in our lives. That's part of this sanctification process. And then the third aspect of it will... It's... Um, this, again, is, this, is this, the sovereign part of salvation. In the same way that God poured his grace out sovereignly, nobody forced him to, nobody pushed him to do it. But also, Jesus is going to come back sovereignly. We don't know the day, we don't know the hour, but there is a day when he comes back, and when he does, those that are justified, that live in the spirit according to Galatians and hopefully walking in the spirit then we will be glorified that process of glorification all of the effects of the curse of the fall are removed from us that's when we get a brand new resurrection body that it doesn't have problems um, it's not subject to sickness. It's not subject to aging. It doesn't have the curse of the fall on the inside. Our physical bodies today 
have that curse of the fall embedded in them, that nature of the of the fall, that fallen nature, and that's where going back to Galatians, it says the works, verse nineteen, Galatians five, the works of the flesh are evident. Your flesh will drive you. Your flesh will want things. You know, back when I was out in the world, my motto was, if it feels good, do it. If it feels really good, do it twice. And it was kind of like, you know, people do with medicine. If one is good for you, two's got to be better. Well, <laughs> that's never true. Two, one may be good for you and two will kill you when you're taking medicine. But with sin, your flesh never gives up that pull in that direction. That's the reason... Paul said in, in Hebrews, we don't need to for, forsake the assembling of ourselves. We need to be feeding our faith and feeding our spirit because your flesh is constantly pulling and tugging you to go the easy way, to go the world's way, to do these works of the flesh that, that Paul listed to the church of Galatia. For us, the justification's done the sanctification we're in the middle of, but the sanctification, again, it's, it's, it's also by faith. It's God's grace that provides the, the power to us to be sanctified, to walk those works out. God's prepared them, but can we, can we walk it out? Well, obviously, the question is, sure, we can, the question is, how do we do that? How do we, do we get these good works to come out of us? The only, well, it's part of what I've been dealing with on Sunday mornings for the past few weeks. It starts with our identification. Who do we identify most with? Um, our old man, how we used to be before we were saved? or what Jesus says about us. I guarantee you, people, they'll always remember how you were, you dirty, rotten scoundrel. I, I know what you did. I know, and, and the enemy, you know, he is the accuser of the brethren. He will always throw that up to us. I know what your thoughts are. I know what, what you said to so-and-so, you know, two weeks ago or a year ago or two years ago. We have to walk it out by faith. If the, the initial salvation, the justification is through grace or by grace through faith, then the sanctification problem or sanctification progress is by grace through faith. We have to learn to tap into that grace that God's given us to walk those, that fruit of the Spirit out. It's never easy. It, in some areas, it will get easier as you do it. It's like any, anything that you do habitually. The more you do it, the less you have to think about and the easier it becomes. It's part of the reason, you know, as a kid, I wanted to, I wanted to play basketball. I wanted to be good at basketball. I devoted hours to learning how to dribble, how to shoot. 
to where you got to the point where you didn't, some of it you just didn't think about. We see it today. I get in my car, I don't think about driving. I just start the car up, put it in gear, and go. It's automatic. Now, there are times when I need to think about it, <laughs> drive a little more defensively, but the basics of it, I don't have to think of. I've been driving, well, I'm 65. I started driving at 12, 13. Uh, you know, that's over 50 years I've been doing that. I've acquired a lot of that to it's just become muscle memory. Well, sanctification can be the same. There are some parts of our sanctification that after you've done them for so long, they just become second nature to you. You don't have to actively believe God to get this done. It's just you've established that pattern and you can walk it out. God will always be challenging us to grow in that, become more and more um, conformed to the image of Christ on the inside of us. But as we go, the farther we go, we ought to look more and more like Jesus. I don't, well, I, I do know we will never arrive. But hopefully, you know, as I've heard um, several ministers say over the year, I'm, I, I haven't arrived, but at least I've left the station. Well, Paul, Paul said to, um, I forget where it's written now, but he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Man, that's a tough one to do especially when you are very aware of your shortcomings. But we all ought to be able to encourage people to follow some of our good works when, when, when we can walk them out, you know, maybe not effortlessly, but we ought to keep, we need to keep reaching and, and, and keep reaching by faith and keep trying to correct the lust of the flesh and resist the lust of the flesh and just remind ourselves, that's not me anymore. That's, that's the guy that used to be alive that died and was reborn in Christ, so I don't have to act that way. Don't want to act that way. Now, some of it, well, let's put it this way. It's a whole lot easier to, to walk that out when you're not tired, when you are feeling good. Um, it, all, it all, everything comes easier when, when everything's clicking. Let's put it this way. I go to, I, I visit a lot of people in the hospital it's rare that I go to do a hospital visit and visit somebody that's sick, and this is not a criticism, it's just a fact. Very rarely are they looking for people to pray for. Usually they're just trying to get better. <laughs> they're just laying in a bed hoping that life gets better because it sucks right now. It's horrible. I'm here and I mean, you don't go to the hospital anymore unless you're really, you know, pretty sick. And so, we need to believe God, and this is just one little area. We need to believe God for good health 
so that we have the strength and the ability to reach out and help other people. Now, different people will have different challenges with that, but it's, it's, it's just a fact when I'm walking in God's blessings, it's easier to walk out the fruit of the Spirit. When I'm really under a test, I'm tired, I've, I've, you know, I've worked too many hours, I don't feel particularly well, boy, that's when your flesh really takes advantage of you. But it's also when you, you need to, you know, my, my father's, um, well, his 11th commandment was, thou shalt not shave on your day off. But his 12th commandment was, shut thy mouth. And Proverbs says the same thing, you know, put a guard on my lips. <laughs> and sometimes it's, it's just much better to say nothing, walk away. There's always part of us that wants to, I want to have my input. If it's not positive, probably best just to not have any input at all. Does that make sense? Then we get to verse 11, which let me introduce this real quickly. I lost my place here. We will take this up next week. In verse 11, he's going to start getting into the blood of Jesus and the differences, uh, especially those next three verses, 11 through 13. The difference between being in Israel and being a Gentile. Now, the church primarily today is a Gentile church. But we're, I think most people are realizing that we need to, even as Gentiles, we need to get in touch with our Jewish roots. Uh, it makes a lot of things a lot plainer in the scriptures. If you know where this came from in Jewish faith and tradition, but still, we we were Gentiles in the flesh. We didn't have now, in in one sense, to this church, they didn't have the the word of God preached to them from the very beginning. Now, if you if if you're like me, I can't. My my parents got saved when I was really little. They got saved in a Billy Graham crusade, probably early fifties. Had to have been the early fifties, because I don't remember a time that I wasn't in church. So even though I'm not a Jew. I'm not, I, I was an alien from the commonwealth of Israel. I still was raised with the Bible in my life from a little squirt. Probably, I probably wasn't much more than a toddler if, if they even, they may have gotten saved before I got born again. I'm not real sure. But there is a huge difference between whether you've been raised in this or whether you came into it doesn't mean that you can't progress but the earlier you introduce this that's why I, I said earlier one of my biggest responsibilities as a father 
my biggest responsibility as a father was to instill godly principles into my kids so that when they got older, and even for myself, I've given my testimony before. At 17, I just got so frustrated with the church I was in, I walked away. But I always knew in those 11 or 12 years that I was out in the world, I always knew where my answer was. If I want to get this straight, i got to get back in church. I need to get back in church. That tug was always there because my mom and dad had planted the word in my heart. And when I finally got tired of running headfirst into a brick wall, I finally said, okay, I'm going to get back to church because there's got to be an answer. I didn't find it when I was a teenager, but I'm going to, I'm going to go at it as an adult. And it was great. I found out there was an answer, that it wasn't God. That God wasn't the source of all my problems. He was the answer to all my problems. And I learned. I started learning. And I, I, I got involved in a different, different group. I got involved with Christians who actually believed the Bible and didn't just, you know, their philosophy wasn't you get saved, just hang on as best you could. You know, heaven's coming, but God won't do anything for you here. Unless he want, maybe he'll make you miserable, try to teach you something, make you sick, try to teach you something. Oh, Lord, I look back at some of the things I was taught as a kid, and it's like, wow, I, I know when those people got to heaven. I know God, is, he welcomes all his children, but there had to have been some of them when they got there. It's like, what in the world were you thinking when you taught these people this stuff? <laughs> it's, that's not what my word says. And I know honest people can disagree about what, how the Bible presents itself and have disagreements. Um, but the Bible is about good news. And God making you sick and miserable to try to teach you something. I just don't understand how anybody can think that'd be good news. Never was to me. Thank you so much for joining us. If this message has blessed you today, we invite you to visit us in person at Faith Community Church or online at FCCIndianapolis.com.